Welcome to the Leadership Trap Podcast, recorded live here in Austin, Texas. In this podcast, we explore the conditions that lead to surviving and thriving in a successful leadership role. We examine the traps that can cause leaders to stumble, bumble, or get ambushed in ways that may or may not be of their own making. I'm Dr. Chris Petrovka, and with David Hewen of Austin WorkNet, we have a conversation with each leader that explores the traps that they have encountered through their leadership journey. Hopefully it brings a new perspective to your role as a leader and helps you navigate your own way through the traps. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump into the trap. Wow, we had a great conversation with Amy Bernard Bond, where we covered a lot of traps. From her experience as a former Fortune 50 exec and, well, a whole bunch of other superhero stuff. So David, can you just just tell us about Amy? Oh, sure. So Amy's extremely accomplished, uh, yet she's accessible and fun. Uh, she's a leadership coach and consultant who specializes in accelerating the success of legal and compliance executives and their teams. Forbes even called her one of the top coaches for legal and compliance executives out there today. Uh, she's a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Coaching, a member of Marshall Goldsmith's MG100 Coaches, uh, which internationally recognizes the uh, top executive coaches. So she's a mover and a shaker in this world of uh, leadership, coaching, and development. You know, as I was reflecting back on this episode, one thing that was really, really resonated with me was when she talked about the continuum of approachability versus assertiveness that women face in the workplace. And I, I honestly, I really had to have a self-reflective uh, aha moment. Uh, another area that I loved was when she said, hey, leading people isn't for wimps. The last, last comment here before folks listen to the podcast is um, she has this, this uh, guidance and direction around when preparing for executive communications, think about three things, the must, the should, and the want. Listeners, you're going to have to hear this podcast to really get the detail around that. I, I just was super impressed with her, David. Agreed. It's it's worth noting this passion that she does bring with her about ensuring women have a platform for their unique challenges and perspectives. She's a lifelong diversity advocate. She testified even for passage of first-of-its-kind legislation in California, state of Washington, requiring corporate boards to include women. She's guest lectured at UC Berkeley, Stanford, and other prestigious institutions on these topics and more. So you're right. She is a real interesting thought leader in many ways. It was so great to have her on the trap. All right. Well, let's not hold up our listeners anymore. Let's jump into the trap. All right. We're excited to be here for another edition of the Leadership Trap. Welcome to the show, Amy Barner-Bond. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here too. Amy, so many places we could start. I'm going to start with your background in the law, if I may. Um, and since we're in the, um, uh, in the business of leadership traps, where do leaders most commonly fall into traps of their own making that could put them or their company at risk from your experience? I would say lack of self-awareness, hmm. not being aware um, and being accountable for how their behavior impacts other people. And that can, I mean, in the worst case scenario, as I'm putting my lawyer hat on, as you asked me to do, um, that could be cutting corners on compliance and legal and regulatory or, or ethics in terms of how they get their, their mandates and their remits done. Um, and then also self-awareness can be around leadership, right? You, if you're not aware of, of how you're impacting other people, you could lose good employees. You could, you could um, create, uh, I, th I think of leadership as, as someone had a wonderful quote one time around the, the shadow that you cast as a leader and, and is it dark or is it, is it sunny and bright, right? You know, near you. And so I think of that, like, are you, are people, attracted and want to work for you? Or are they afraid to tell you the truth? Like, do you surround yourself with with truth tellers? Or just people like you who are going to tell you how great you are and, and boost your ego up? And so for me, those are all potential traps hmm. that leaders can can fall into across the gamut from from legal issues all the way just to good leadership and and being a good 
good leader that people want to work for. I like that analogy. I, I often will talk to some of my executives and often mention that if they, they came out of a meeting and they felt like it didn't go so well, I always tell them, you're the one that, that sets the climate. You are in charge of the weather. Absolutely. So exactly. A climate issue, it's on you. Yeah, yeah. 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 A variation of that that I'll sometimes refer to as you're an agent of the company, whether you realize it or not. This is especially true. I'll mention for first time managers because they may still wear the hat of being an operational expert without recognizing now they have the responsibility of leading people on behalf of the company. So I use this term, you're an agent of the company. Actually, what you say in uh, the work setting is on behalf of the company. So think in those terms uh, and hopefully that keeps you out of a trap or two along the way. Absolutely. Uh, Digging a bit further into uh, your career, over the course of uh, much of your um, corporate experience, you were in the human resources uh, mm-hmm. leadership profession. What would you advise managers, leaders, and how to leverage their HR partners? First of all, treat them like a partner. Hmm. I, I find that the biggest gaps in cross-functional partnerships are that people are siloed and they only go to the functions that they naturally are comfortable with. Yeah. Right. For sales, it's marketing Uh, for legal, it's HR for, you know, we can all have our, have our groups that we are people that get our day to day. Um, But that can be a trap because then we're not at the table and we're not included. And of course, in all the roles that I've been in being at, at the table and being able to truly be either on the product team or, when you're thinking about doing something with client data or you're thinking about a new recruitment strategy, you know, you want, you want to think ahead of time about who are your partners that should be there. And unfortunately, as you know, there's not always the trust for that. Yeah. Um, It takes work. It takes constant work and diligence and that self-awareness we just talked about Mm -hmm. in terms of if you're not being invited why, why is that? And what can you do differently to get invited next time? Where should you be? How, sh- you know, who, how should you be spending your time? What room should you be in and earning that back? Cause just, you know, being disappointed about it or crabbing about it doesn't change the situation. So I've, I've had, you know, ha- having run compliance and, and HR and legal teams like, why wasn't I invited to that meeting? It's like, well, let's think about that. Let's break it down. Let's strategize. Let's get it. So they were like, we, so-and-so has to be at this meeting you know, they're going to add so much value, better to bring them in now than for us to forget something that we should have been thinking of. Yeah, great point. I mean, if you have a culture of collaboration, encouraging collaboration, that's one more collaborator uh, in in another realm of the business. Um, I find over the years, I found over the years that leaders who at least felt comfortable enough in their own skin coming to their HR partner and saying, can I just run something past you? Yeah. I've got this situation. I love that. Um, at least uh, they give me assurance that they'll probably avoid simply going rogue on the company uh, by uh, feeling like they've got all the answers within them. So um, I, I love and encourage managers, even if they don't feel like they have it right, just to collaborate a bit with their HR partner. And some of those conversations, David, I bet Christopher, you as well, have been some of the most valuable conversations ever. I know when when we were in offices, um, and I'm sure we'll get back at some point, those mm-hmm. Friday afternoon, either the phone call or the Slack or the, the drive-by, just, hey, do you have a second? Sometimes was something really, really, really important that someone had been afraid to talk about or um, not sure if it was really a big deal, but it, but it really was. And so being available and creating that kind of speak up, open, psychologically safe space, I think is so important um, for HR and managers to have that, that dialogue so that we can support them. You know, I think in an HR role, our job is to, to help managers you know, be great leaders avoid problems, you know, handle issues when they come up. But, but yeah, you want to have that trusting open relationship to do that. I'm always amazed with many executives I work with of how often they don't think about all of, of the individuals around them 
that they could put to to um, or be a part of their team and as a resource. Because as a leader and the leaders I coach, I think about like everyone you touch is a part of that resource. How are you making sure that you're leveraging every one of those skill sets? How are you optimizing everybody? So sometimes when I hear an executive say, well, they, they just focus on this or they just do that, right? They, they tend to think of it to me in a very limited, limited capacity instead of what's the potential? How do you put every one of these skill sets to the best possible use? I find very few executives think of it that way. Well, and that has so many other impacts too, right? Such as career development for people, stretch assignments, um, employee retention and engagement. If, if you put someone in a box, how long are they really going to be happy in the box? I personally like believe that most of us want to be lifelong learners and that that makes work more interesting and life more fun and builds character. And so if you, if you have that mentality as a leader, I think that's the other risk is that at some point, the box is going to get too small. And if you've, if you, and you know, and then what are you thinking in terms of succession planning and leveraging your talent? Uh, the richness, as you've put it, is, is in the mix. The riches is in the web of talent. And if it's just all these dotted lines on a, that's, that's not very exciting. And it's certainly not getting the discretionary value for the business. So for leaders who are, um, gaining traction in their career and they're ready to position themselves for promotability. Uh, what are uh, things that they may underestimate in terms of their positioning themselves to be um, successful? Can you point to any well-known leaders who may have demonstrated uh, some elements that uh, managers could point to to say, okay, I need to be demonstrating these types of behavior so I can be well positioned for the next. Sure. Well, in the, the promotability index assessment that I created, it breaks down promotability into five key factors for getting promoted. And there's self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. And they're in that order for a reason because they kind of build on each other, but they're certainly iterative and, and support each other. And um, you can always get better at self-awareness, for example, but you better be pretty self-aware if you're going to be on the C-suite team, whereas thought leadership usually comes later um, when you have more expertise to share. Um, so I would say I, leaders should focus on, on each of those things. If I had to pick one, David, you know, I would say external awareness is the biggest area that I see people get tripped up where I have executive coaching clients are folks that are that are brought to me where companies say this person's an amazing subject matter expert. We need their expertise, and they're not aware of how this behavior, this one behavior, is impacting others. Hmm. And we can't we can't promote them to manage people to lead others until this is until we're really confident that this is that they get that they hear us and that they're motivated and that and that they agree in a way. Frankly, the buy in. And that, right, that's where you get the motivation from is if you, if you yeah. don't agree, then it's probably a mutual walk away. There's no point in staying unless you're comfortable, you know, you're not, not going to have any upward mobility or, or learning. Um, so that's, that's what I see. I like it. And I can't help but think that in some corporate settings, the corporation itself has probably not done itself a good service by focusing in on those attributes uh, in considering who's at a point of readiness for taking on broader responsibility, broader influence. Um, and they may, uh, well, in fact, how do they sell themselves short? I, I shouldn't answer that um, ahead of you. Where do you see organizations who don't adopt those five critical elements? Where do they especially fall short? What, what trap do they fall into in promoting a, a leader who's not at a state of readiness, but they maybe are enamored with some other element, or they may just be desperate to fill a spot. <laughs> Usually it's, it's the people like us trap. Mm. It's the P, the mm. PLU trap. It's who are we comfortable with? Who's, I hate to put it this way, but literally who's a good guy, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and most of the time it's a good guy. Um, and uh, it's, it's gotten better. And a lot of companies are a lot more conscious of it. That was another motivator for me to, to try to reverse engineer promotions so that everyone has access and so that companies can 
I hope, who are thoughtful about it can pay more attention to who are we promoting and why and what are some objective criteria we can use. And I've got, you know, 82 of them in terms of, <laughs> of areas you can, in terms of the questions people can ask around, is this person ready? How do they show up? How do they serve others? How are they serving the organization? Do they have good judgment? Do they have good gravitas? How are they under pressure? Because that's a big one. Um, you know, the higher you get, it, it is an incredible burden of, and responsibility and privilege to lead other people. And I think that's underestimated by people who haven't managed people before. Yeah, nicely stated. You know, one of your recent articles uh, from just a couple of days ago, you had mentioned that um, in order to be an effective communicator and be viewed as a strategic thinker, you need to define the focus of each interaction with intention and care. That's a direct quote from your article. I really like that. And you noted a handy short list that could be referenced, must, should, want. I'm curious to get uh, an expanded view into must, should, want. Sure, David, thank you. That was my newsletter. Um, and I had fun writing that one. Um, I always try to give a little bit of practical tips. The one before that was was more around big themes. The, the must, um, should, and want is around when you're thinking about a strategic meeting and, and we don't always have the, the um, time to super plan a meeting, but when you do have a time, the time, I this is a strategy I used with all of my executives or my bosses. And I would sit down, I make my, I'd have my running list of things that I, my bucket of stuff that I needed answers to or information on or an introduction, a key introduction to a strategic stakeholder, all of it, right? And then updates on projects, requests for headcount, fill in the blank, right? All that stuff. Then I would distill it down into those three buckets. All right, I've got all this stuff. I know I will never get to my whole list. Like, let's just start with that, especially if you're meeting with a very senior leader. And you should always assume that you have less time than you do. That's 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 a winner's game. If if you always assume that you're going to be great because you are a rock star if you can give back time, which is priceless, to a senior leader. Honestly, so that's been a number one tip. But this this must is you know what must I tell them? And those are things that are of course legal or compliance or ethics in nature. Um, uh, their hot project that you're working on that you know they they need to know the update on something that failed something that that um, they would be blindsided by falls into the must category. Um, a lot of people learn that the hard way, but never ever blindside your boss. That's a great way to never get promoted. Um, the, the shoulds are around, you know, a little less urgent than must. It's the next level down. It's, you know, what would, what would I want to know? Put themselves, put, if you put yourself in their shoes and you say, okay, what do I know that maybe they don't um, around, um, something else that's happening in the company or a trend or, Hey, by the way, did you hear X or Y? And I don't mean in a gossipy way. I mean, true information that's, that's pretty valid that is done with the intention of helpfulness um, to, to your boss. So, so taking that information and, and then the, the want is just about me, 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 me. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, what do I need? You know, what, what is my boss probably doesn't care about this, but I really do. So you either need to, I think, figure out how they, why they should care about it so that it gets into the should or the must category. Or if you truly decide it's just the, the me category, that's the kind of stuff that if you get cut, caught short on time that you cut. So yeah. for me, it goes in that, in that order and you save it for next time. You know, I always had a right. running list of what I'll call, you know, one, twos and threes must should want. And the want was always in the threes. And I, if I got to one or two of my wants and I prioritize those two, if I had enough time, um, I, I was happy. Yeah. So you got to earn your way into the want, I suspect anyway, if you've solved a problem for a senior leader and they recognize that the things you're doing are going to add value to the challenges they face, then you've probably earned your way into the want categories. Yeah. Perfect example is, is, you know, again, if you get extra time, like when you're given, when you're going over time, and your boss is relaxed and sitting back and clearly happy and they start, you know, shooting the breeze with you or, or again, they're saying, so what do you, what do you, that is, that's gold. That's a, that's a sign 
of a really great working relationship and that you are meeting their needs because clearly they're already allowing you space to, to just present what you need to. And, and that's really amazing when that happens. Yeah. Thank you. Have you um, observed any gender differences in that approach and, and some of how you're coaching different executives? In terms of just general, uh, yes. I mean, you know, I, I think all of, tell me if this answers your question, I'm happy to elaborate. The way that I would try to simplify and distill gender differences is that all for leaders is that all leaders have to balance two things, approachability and assertiveness. And they have to learn it's an art rather than a science, depending on context and what's going on at the time. Sometimes if they need to sell an idea or they've got a tough message, they need to be very approachable to, to for employees to feel heard and supported, particularly in the last year of the pandemic, right? But sometimes they have to be really assertive and they have to make really tough calls and they have to set boundaries and they have to announce a riff or a cut in a product line or, or, or you know, fill in the blank, any one of those. And so for, for women and men where where science and, and neuroscience has shown that it's different is that women need to over-index more on approachability than on assertiveness in order to be accepted in leadership roles. And that men can get away with being more assertive and not have the likability penalty that is allocated to women at times um, for being assertive. I think it's changing. I think you know the more we have women showing very different leadership styles and ways of, of being a leader that will shift, but that is a, that's what I see. And that's what we work to together to coach on. Yeah. Yeah. That that's exactly yeah. what I was wondering is what are you seeing in terms of the struggles, right? Cause a lot of uh, your clients and people who are coaching like might come to you and working through those elements is, is probably different levels of anxiety and different approaches and probably brings sort of different situations. Cause I'm, I'm curious, as you were telling that story, I would love to to know, it's a more of a, a, a rhetorical question for our listeners, is as you told that story, Amy, I wonder how many of our listeners were picturing a, a male in the boss's seat and a female in the subordinate seat? It's a great question, Chris. Yeah, yeah. It's just something to always think about some of those uh, unconscious biases that we have. Definitely. Okay. Behavioral assessments. This is up your alley. This is up all three of our alleys. We um, are organization development practitioners. Uh, we've made use of various behavioral assessments over the course of our careers. There's so many out there. You're the creator of the Promotability Index, uh, a leadership self-assessment uh, tool, and you're also launching the companion guidebook to go along with it. So congratulations, first of all. This is like uh, easily like writing a massive book. I'm sure this didn't come <laughs> easily, you, easily. You had to have partners along the way yes. for validation purposes and so forth. So, um, so two questions. First, why did you create it? And then secondly, uh, uh, tell us a bit about what it is, uh, how it can be put to use, who should use it, uh, and how does it make for a better workplace? So start with the why and then uh, we'd love to learn more about uh, uh, the assessment itself. Sure. Well, the assessment's 82 questions. It's free. It's online. I made it available to anyone. And the way I designed it, it's intended to, I hope, inspire, motivate, and evoke questions uh, for people to think about and or discuss with their colleagues, their peers, their team, their boss um, around thinking about their, their career in, in, I hope, an exciting and, and fun way, in a building way. You know, we do so much retroactive uh, work in HR. I always think of compensation and, and promotions as, as, and evaluations as a look back. And so this is very much focused on the forward, what's in the future, what's possible? What are, what are your dreams about where you'd like to achieve? And what's the gap between where you are now and where you'd like to be? And so, my goal in creating the assessment and the book is, is around that conversation, hoping to provide a language and, and, some, and a very flexible framework that, that is more inspirational rather than evaluative in terms of having those conversations that, that I think a lot of 
leaders and employees are are not very good at sometimes. It's, it can be very awkward and scary, and but that, that need to be had so that there are no surprises, so that you can, to the extent you want to be, always be self-author, what I think of as self-authoring and be aware of how you're viewed. And so my, my goal is to, to help support honest, candid and kind conversations. But do you find it the, the manner in which you structure this, is it helpful to have a coach or a mentor or next level leader by your side um, as you take this. And the reason why I'm uh, asking this is because as I looked at the assessment went through, it's very well considered. Um, people have to be um, a bit uh, self-reflective, honestly self-reflective. It seems yes. like one could easily uh, hype up their capabilities simply because they can. There's no oversight there. You know, this is a different type of behavioral assessment than it say is. a Myers-Briggs where we say, hey, there are no right or wrong answers, so you don't have to game it. Here, people could look at this, savvy folks, and say, all right, yeah, I kind of got how I need to position myself here. So how I, do you I've, overcome that? I filled it out this afternoon, and it probably will be maybe your first perfect score, by the way. I mean, and I'm, I'm being <laughs> Case completely self-aware. You know, I should have just... been grading Chris's paper before he turned it in. I would suggest the two of you, yeah, share results and give each other feedback, <laughs> which is which is the best way. And you've pointed out the one way that it could fail. The the assessment fails if you're not self-aware, and but then you're just cheating yourself. Yeah. Because this is all about, you know, helping companies and individuals get what they would like out of out of life and work. Some the place we spend so much time, even virtual right now. And so, you ask the best way to do it. Some of the best rollouts I've seen are companies that adopt it as part of their mandatory career development process, um, and that use it as a as a way to give a tool to employees to own their career and be more in the driver's seat because we all know really the other trap that people make right is they delegate their career to the company and they think oh just my good work's going to get noticed and if i just stay here long enough you know i will i will i will get what i want and that's just not the way it works it has to be an ongoing dialogue hmm. and so what I think is effective and mine isn't the only way to do this, but this was intended to be, I hope a helpful tool in that direction is promoting that this is a dialogue, that it's an ongoing uh, lifelong conversation and that um, you should check your results with your boss. I mean, what better way to actually unearth in an, in a safe environment, I think what your boss thinks of you and your skill set because it's harder. What, what one thing that always was tough for me about the many performance evaluations that I either was responsible for issuing as a chief human resource officer or you know, filling out in other roles as a general counsel or, or whatever, is that you know, it was so focused on just specific tasks or a project and it wasn't big picture thinking and visioning around well, what, what could I be? And there's not always a lot of space in the crush of the business day. And I really do appreciate that having been a CEO as well um, to do that. And so I feel like this for people who want to take the opportunity and not everyone does. That's the other thing we found is that in some of the companies I've rolled it out, I'm, I'm unscientifically it's running at, a, at about a 30% rate that people, 30% of people do not want to get promoted. They're not interested. Mm. And that's a great thing to know as well. If you're the boss too. If they're just like, nope, I'm happy. I, I like my, my, I want to continue to be a technical expert in my area of expertise, but it, it, it helps you then with succession planning, who to, who to invest what in. It's not that you don't invest in those people. We, we need some people that aren't wanting to be leaders, sure. right? And there are many good reasons. people define themselves uh, in many ways beyond the work they do yeah. from eight to five. They have rich lives outside of work too. Right. And, and if you don't love, you know, not willing to put in the time to lead people, you don't like, mm -hmm. it's not for wimps leading, leading people is not for, for wimps. And it's a heck of a lot of work and heart 
if I think if, if done well, it's, it's a lot of heart and mind. And so the, this, this book again is intended to guide because it will evoke the things looking back and some of the comments I get from, you know, I, I've guest lectured at Stanford and, and UC Berkeley Haas and, and sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll ask me for career stuff that I, that I can share with the students as well. And I got to tell you that the 20 somethings are really blown. <laughs> Their minds are blown by that's important, you know, cause they're so mm-hmm. focused on getting the degree. And so the other leadership trap, I would say people fall into, and, and I wrote an HBR article about this uh, back in February that, um, you know, it's, it's not about promotions. It's not about your skills. It's about your relationships. And so what, what I find some of the, the younger generation tends to focus on, it's completely understandable because during your twenties and your thirties, you're building your credibility, right? Sure. You're getting yeah. your degree. You're like, you're like doing the, the journey, journey work mm-hmm. of the career. Um, and it's, it's really helpful. And I would love anyone listening to this, you know, to let us know, but it's important to remember a few things. Number one, the colleagues you're competing with may be your boss one day or may go off and leave and work at that company that five years from now is absolutely your target company, right? And so better to you know, make sure that the competition is kept friendly and kept, you know, I, th- I think some companies create a culture of competition that, that eventually works against them because then by the time I've seen it, you know, you have a horse race for CEO you know, that kind of thing. And then it's like, well, that's great. Now all our business heads aren't getting along because they're all competing in this big, you know, game with each other. So my hope is that that this is a way to also kind of break apart the, the power structure in a healthy way so that people can figure out, you know, who's really in it to win it, who's really willing to put in the hard work because all of, all of the best leadership characteristics, I think, require a balance of humility and courage. In, in equal amounts. And the timing of, of what, you're, what you've created and what you're sharing, and I think this assessment in the book um, and, and just getting recognized by Forbes recently, the timing couldn't be better because it's being written now that we're the, the great resignation is upon right. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I couldn't have predicted that at all. But um, it's, it's, it's been a, a fun journey and I love seeing the light bulb go on for people. Um, the other thing that happened that I think you all both really appreciate is that, that in uh, companies that rolled this out, a wonderful, that made my heart happy was some people said that they had these initial meetings with subordinates and then the per, they had, I had a couple of situations where people came back and said, you know, I never thought of going for it, but based on what you've told me, now I'm kind of excited about it. Based on based on your assessment of my assessment of myself, maybe I am capable mm-hmm, of, yeah. of doing more. That's yeah. great, right? That's human I, potential. I, think that's a, I agree, Amy, and and that also points uh, to something that I, I sometimes share with uh, colleagues who are trying to rethink what their next will be. Is I, I sometimes say, you know, you're only a conversation away from something that could be really interesting. Because you Perfect could hit upon um, a mentor or an influencer or, or someone who just times out beautifully with um, uh, a transition that you suddenly gain clarity on because of that conversation. So back to your notion of relationships, Amy, um, you, you have to kind of put yourself out there a bit to, mm-hmm. um, to have those next conversations be made available. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a way to do it. One, one other trap that you just made me think of, David, when you said that is that I think sometimes employees don't appreciate how stressful it can be to be a manager and how terrified some managers can be of having these conversations. Hmm. And so to that end, I would advise anyone to remember that it, to have a really effective outcome, a great conversation about your career, which are very powerful conversations, do think ahead and be really thoughtful about what do you know about your boss and how can you make them feel comfortable really telling you the yeah. truth. In my opinion, that's our that's an individual employee's responsibility and they need to know that that is going to get them further than anything. Um, and, and even if it's feedback that they don't agree with or that they don't think is fair, 
um, or that it's a perception, but the, that if you take the approach and this requires a lot of, a lot of courage and humility, like we've talked about, and it, it makes you very vulnerable getting that feedback, but you can't change perception if you don't know what it is. And so these conversations are so important. I know so many leaders that I've been brought into coach and I, I get feedback that I know they haven't been given. And of course that's not fair, but sorry, that's the way the world works. People avoid tough conversations. We've all done it. I know we have everyone listening. And so, you know, if you, if you think of it that way and then back into it that way and say, okay, you know, and one of my favorite questions that I, that I suggest one of my favorite exercises for people is to ask their boss and their team and their peers. Ideally you do this as your own little 360, especially if you can't afford a coach or you don't have access to or you work at a tiny company. A lot of people don't have the luxury of, of the resources that we've all probably had the benefit of. Ask your boss, you know, what one thing could I do to be more effective in my job and stop talking Yeah, <laughs> and just listen. And I guarantee you that asking that exactly the way I've said it, one thing, very specific, so you're not overwhelming someone, they will think of something. And even beyond that, they will realize, oh, this is a safe conversation. This person wants feedback. Isn't it? I mean, if you, if you, you guys have managed people, isn't it amazing when you know you have someone who, that you feel safe having that conversation with, because then you can say, great job on that meeting last week. And next time, you know, there was this one thing you could do better. Do you want yeah. some feed? Are you open to hearing some feedback on that? Yeah. Right. Uh, it's wonderfully stated. Yeah. I think those early adoption of humility behaviors that someone can take on uh, then positions them to be a future leader, because if they carry themselves in that manner, then they show up in a way in which others know that they have a genuine interest in the success of others. I often refer to this. I'm on repeat a bit here. Okay. Um, at points along the way in our podcast, we like to ask our guests um, a bit of a moral dilemma question or dilemma in this case. And this one, we said we wouldn't do anything provocative pre-show, but this, this guy <laughs> has a bit of a provocation associated with it. I acknowledge that, uh, but it's a sign of the times. So let's say, here's my situation, Amy. We've got a um, early to mid-stage manager who has a number of individual contributor employees, and uh, some of them are fairly strong-willed. And of course, people bring their personal stories into the workplace. So here's the dilemma. And how would you advise the manager in the conditions such as this? One of uh, the manager's employees shows up one day with a uh, t-shirt that's Black Lives Matter, um, stated on there, Black Lives Matter, written on the shirt. Uh, sitting across the table from this employee is uh, his or her colleague. And this colleague comes in wearing a uh, MAGA, Make America Great Again, red emblazoned shirt, maybe the hat to go along with it. And they are sitting across from each other. You can almost feel the steam emanating in the conference room. So what do you advise a manager who uh, hopefully recognizes the condition and maybe to a larger extent, there could be a corporate culture that, um, that may be hanging out there that, um, that's at stake as well. So what, what's your advice, Amy? Expert well, thanks for, for their stating the impossible situation, David. Hmm. Um, you guys seemed so friendly at first. Yeah, and um, then we turned on you. <laughs> I acknowledge that. Just set up. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a tough one. Um, so many companies dealing with this, Robert. Right? It is. It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. And I I wrote an article actually on politics in the workplace for Compliance Week in terms of because HR, you know, has skyrocketing complaints in the last election. Um, there was even a, I think it was a forty percent increase that Sherm reported over the prior election. What the data point that struck me the most on this was. 36% of all coworkers had had some kind of interaction over politics that led them to no longer want to work with one of their colleagues. Mm -hmm. So that telling. means a, a third, can you imagine, right? I mean, you can't run a business that way. Um, and so we have to find a way 
to come together on it. And people have sure. very, very, very strong opinions. So you're and reinforcing the dynamics. I am. Extending the color around this. So I, I feel what it's would important you advise, to. Yeah, what do you advise uh, a leader who's faced with something um, along these lines? I am a little conservative when it comes to, to politics in the sense of wanting to bring people together and find the common denominator. And I think that with something like the, the election and everything that happened with the murder of George Floyd and other issues that, that some of this is, is unsolvable in the workplace. And so for if, if I were advising a company and I were the lawyer or the head of HR, I would prohibit wearing any, any I, I think it's unwinnable actually. And you can't um, tell people what right to think with you and you can't yeah. tell people what to believe or how to vote. And we shouldn't. And that's, you know, yeah. how, what our country was founded on. And, and so it's the, for me, the only solution is this, you know, we're here to work and to the extent that, that you use good judgment and you, as in other conversations, you're comfortable talking to someone, but at a certain point, if the conversation becomes uncomfortable, you need to, to withdraw politely so that it doesn't impact the, the working relationship negatively. Yeah. Do whatever you want on your own time, except if you're an executive, because if you're an executive, you are the company. So, you know, and when I was an executive, I, I did not, uh, I was not as active in political activities like testifying for the women on boards bill. That's not something I would have, I would have done, for example. Um, and, and some other things that I'm personally very involved in and that meaning are meaningful to me, but it's a, um, it's a responsibility when you, when you take that on and it's, it's a, it's a trade-off. Right. Yeah, I, so for I, me, for I me with both those employees, I would, yeah, I would say, you know, and, and if I, I would have a policy before you need it, that was my, my advice is please have this before you need it because you don't want anyone to feel singled out. Yeah. You don't want anyone to feel like they're being targeted for their political beliefs. And so you better have it in your back pocket before you need it. And I would say that about conflicts of interest, I, you know, I've implemented investigations um, at three or four companies and, and the protocols and the disciplinary measures and reported to boards on all of that and whistleblower. And so I, I really like to reverse engineer uh, out of as many problems as possible in the workplace so that people can feel comfortable working with each other and, and um, you know, hopefully be respectful and, and, but it, but it's, it's not easy to have some of these conversations. Most people aren't well equipped to have a respectful debate over something they feel really strongly about in opposition with someone else and then sure. just get on the with the work and, and pretend should, nothing uh, happened. Well said. And should the workplace, if the workplace ultimately needs to be a high performance environment so that the company can be uh, productive and competitive and ultimately create a, uh, a healthy uh, setting in which everyone can succeed, then um, we want to minimize disruption. So I, I really appreciate how you gave a thoughtful and well-framed response. I share this dilemma with some HR leader colleagues recently who are pretty progressive in their politics and thinking. And so when I framed it as, all right, so an employee comes into the uh, workplace with a Black Lives Matter, oh yeah, we're good with that. Yeah, because we believe, right. And I said, okay, uh, and then they that's started the temptation to catch, right now, right? They started because I to think catch we themselves. all recognize, yeah, right. Been... And then when I introduced the other element of that, um, they gave themselves immediately a slap on the wrist and paused and said, "Okay, we created an unfair condition all the way around uh, for the reasons that uh, you." Know. It's unfortunate that it's become so politicized, right? Because yeah. we simultaneously then have employee resource groups, and we recognize that. We've not always done the best at promoting underrepresented groups. And so there are social issues that, that need to be addressed and those need to be addressed. So what I find un unfortunate is that, that it's gotten so politicized, but it has. Yeah. And so we have to deal with it, in my opinion, as the bucket of politics. And there's a reason that, that sex, religion, and politics has historically been the three topics that are like the third rail at work. Like if you're gonna go there, okay, but you better watch it and you better really be on your toes around when whoever you're speaking with is uncomfortable with what you're saying or sharing. 
and you know, I know again, you guys being in HR, it, it's not just politics, right? There are other areas yeah. that are that are tricky um, for people, and that they that they need to be professional about. So, how have you seen uh, leaders becoming more authentic through this pandemic? Because. Yeah, I was, I was a part of, a, I'm part of a white people working group for the Harvard Institute of Coaching, um, of which I'm a fellow. And we interviewed, I interviewed some of my clients and a bunch of us have worked on how did leadership change during the pandemic and how have leaders reapproach their roles. The paper's not out yet, but please remind me when it is. It'll be publicly available and I can send it to you all. Super. I, I bet you'll find it really interesting. Um, but, you know, with a group, I wrote a chapter in it and some of the themes that came out are increased empathy in terms of everyone experiencing a, a loss at the same time. Um, everyone is going through unknown at uncertainty. Um, and then out of just us all having to hack it, working at home, the boundaries that normally existed for, for some people having to work at home with young kids or no childcare or, you know, aging parents or, or, you know, whatever it is, just being kind of more out things that people perhaps might have kept more private in the past be, being more out. So what I think Chris is that, is that leaders found, found perhaps a little more humanity. Conversely, what I think is challenging. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago is that coming back to the workplace, I think, leaders will need to find that balance for themselves and whatever the culture of their workplace is and their industry and their type of work and, and their return to work plan, which varies for people. Um, they need to find that balance of empathy with boundaries. It's still really important as a leader, you must have boundaries around fairness around, and, and I brought it up around who are you going to allow to work from home? You know, what's your approach going to be like, you have to, you have to be thinking for the entire team yeah, and not just good. for the one, not just for the one person that has the guts to approach you first. So again, my hope is that leaders will be thinking of this before they, they need it. Companies need to be thinking about this ahead of time to be fair and equitable to everyone. Yeah. We could have a whole nother conversation around how culture has been impacted as a result of the expanded remote uh, workforce and how that's impacted um, uh, a potential loss of a sense of community where people yeah. are accustomed to coming together in some fashion and they've lost that town hall experience and, and other um, uh, human uh, conditions of uh, connection that has uh, suffered in a variety of ways. But unfortunately, we are up against the clock. So one thing I did want to ask you, as thoughtful as you are, and as much as you are a continuous learner, I'm curious if you have a favorite leadership quote that's maybe a go-to for you. I do write, they change. And I, I post a motivational Monday quote every uh, Monday oh my on my, through my social media. Um, so I have a well, ton choose of Choose a good one. All right. <laughs> but one of my favorites that'll fit, that'll fit with our show around the leadership trap yeah. theme uh, honoring your wonderful podcast is from Peter Drucker, who, you know, I think one of the yeah. greatest you know, thought leaders and one of the original business thought leaders. And my favorite quote from him, which comes from managing oneself, which we talked a lot about today is quote, you should not change yourself, but create yourself. That means build around your strengths and remove bad habits. And I love just how simple that that is simple, but not easy. Yeah. And something to continually reference, continually. We're never done. Right. Yeah. And that's, the, to, and then the good way that that's lovely because it's aspirational. Um, yeah. We grow and change. Our preferences grow and change what we need at a given time during the different stages of our life change and, and good leaders and good organizations recognize that. And I, and I think they're, I think that in the future that, that those are going to be the companies, especially as, certain jobs move to AI and we get more and more into the people side being valued. The companies that, that move ahead are the ones that are going to get really good at having these types of conversations. It reminds me of, um, I forget where I was at. Maybe I think I was listening to a speaker somewhere 
and they had made a comment that really struck me and it was similar along those lines and it and it um, impacted me significantly enough that um, it, it really did probably alter the choices that I make and and they had asked um, kind of a self-reflection question said are you a producer or you're a consumer great and I thought that was brilliant it resonated because I kind of thought for a minute when I show up it, even in in micro ways of just a, a conversation with someone, am I just consuming what they're taking in or am I producing? Am I adding value? Am I creating? And how am I a producer in this world as opposed to just a consumer? And I thought it kind of fits along that it resonated as you, you brought up the director code. That's a great, a great mm-hmm. reflective question, Chris. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Amy, for your time and perspectives. Uh, congratulations on um, all your accomplishments today. Good luck with the uh, 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 promotability index and the associated guidebook that goes along with it and your other you. uh, activities you have underway. It's been such a treat to talk with you again. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully we'll have another chance down the road. I'm expecting to get a really good score when I get my results back on the promotability <laughs> index. <laughs> Let me look okay. at it first. Yeah. David, will you, will you get on yeah. that with Chris? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. I'll need to screen it. Uh, but again, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Thanks for, for inviting text. me. Yeah, so where and how can people find you and some of the key uh, sure, sure. Well, uh, publications I'm, you have out Welcome there? folks connecting with me on LinkedIn, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and my website has a ton of free resources for leaders. I have an entire um, dropdown, which publishes all of my articles, podcasts, and other, and my newsletter. You can sign up for my newsletter, which is about once a month and delivers leadership tips like the one that, that you shared, David, around you know meetings with your boss and how to make those most effective. And then you can get my free promotability index self-assessment by texting promote me, all one word, to 22444. And, and you guys can put that in the show notes probably as well. And then my my guidebook, which is a companion to the assessment, is available wherever books are sold. It's in independent bookstores as well as the famous company that begins with the letter A. We're not mentioning the full name. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was just know. teasing. I think if you just put A in <laughs> your search you browser, go. Amazon's going to pop up. So, and it's a, it's a, it's a Barnes and Noble. I mean, it's just really everywhere. So I, I've yeah. had fun making sure that it's available everywhere because I love independent bookstores too. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We've got uh, some great independent bookstores here as well. And hopefully they've got the guidebook available. Thank you, Amy. Be Thank well. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. Do you know a leader who could benefit from hearing about the leadership trap? Well, we hope you will share this podcast with them. And remember, give the podcast a five-star rating. Every rating helps us reach more leaders. You can find us at theleadershiptrap.org. Okay, we'll see you next time. And until then, stay out of those traps.